0: You're listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast, where our focus is helping people to connect to God, change, and thrive in life. Paul, an apostle, writes the following words as he describes what kind of person he was before his encounter with Jesus. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul describes himself as a righteous, fanatic Jew, Pharisee, one who is zealous in the lineage of someone in the Old Testament named, named Phineas. Who Phineas was known in the Old Testament as someone who, uh, the story says that he, in his zeal, went and killed two Israelites who were dishonoring the name of the Lord. And in this same lineage of zeal, when the Israelite, when the Jew, Jewish person would think of zeal, they would think of Phineas. And Paul here is saying, I was that same kind of guy. Honoring God because of my zeal. But when he encounters Jesus, and realizes the fulfillment of everything he, as a Jew, was waiting for and looking for, was found in Jesus, it rattles his world. It changes his worldview, his perspective, his whole being. Philippians 3.7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ." Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. His whole being now is defined by Jesus and the knowledge of his Savior and Lord. Everything is rubbish, garbage compared to knowing Christ. And with this message... And this same zeal now and passion, he travels the known world and proclaims this news that one no longer had to be caught in slavery to worldly desires. One no longer had to be enslaved to guilt or fear because in this Messiah, this Savior, there was hope, light, a new way to live and to be and to interact with the world and the challenges around us. And after he plants... These assemblies of Jesus' followers, he writes them letters, which we now have in our reading today, Philippians being one of them. And we get an insight as to what was it that motivated this zealous Pharisee. Over and over again, Paul brings people back to the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And this gospel changes the world. This gospel changes how such a racially and economically divided world can get along and serve one another and love each other. This gospel creates a new people, a new community that in turn was so different from those around them that they caused a reaction. It was either confusion amongst those around them or a curiosity that the surrounding society wanted to at least attend one of their gatherings to see what they were doing. You had Jew and Gentile, man and woman, adult and child, rich and poor, all together under one new King. And this Gospel, this message, this announcement, changed the world. Paul writes to one of those assemblies in Corinth. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, Now, brothers and sisters... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Paul tells the church in Corinth. A church with a lot of issues, if you read 1 Corinthians, he says, guys, remember what I preached to you. Hold on to this gospel. Don't believe other gospels, other things out there. Take your stand in this gospel of Jesus. And he says, and he continues and he says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living today, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. And then he goes on and talks about how the grace of God motivated him to work harder than anybody else. Because he realizes this message, this Jesus that appeared to me also. He's changing, he's changing everything. He says of first importance, Jesus died for your sins, not go to church, not be holy. No, of the first importance Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. All these people saw him. In fact, there are some people still among this community, Paul says, who saw him, who are still not dead, who are still alive. And they saw him. And then he appeared to me. Throughout Paul's life, every encounter was informed by this announcement. This gospel message it informed the way he viewed politics, the way he interacted in relationships, his own leadership, how he handled suffering and persecution, his view on generosity, his serving of the poor. And more than anything, in this setting, his approach to the Gentile, those outside of God's favor, according to the Jewish religion. The gospel changed everything. In Paul's life and this message, this gospel message that of first importance, that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried and that he raised on the third day, that he overcame death. This message influenced the new community of God's people, the church historians and writers during this time were amazed by Christians taking care of the poor and the marginalized, even among the unbelieving of society, standing in the arena, being mauled by wild animals without worry because their hope was in the Gospel, enduring persecution or unemployment because of their faith and beliefs, Jew and Gentile eating at the same table. People in the world saw this and scoffed and mocked, but in the end would stand amazed and perplexed at their approach to life in spite of incredible odds and challenges. God, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, says, using the weak of the world to shame the strong. And this community was continually informed by this gospel message. Everything they saw, everything they did was informed by and influenced by Jesus died for my sins, He was buried, but God raised him from the dead. And there are live witnesses to this. Changed everything throughout Paul's letters. We see him reminding the churches and teaching them not just how to behave, but how to think. In other words, Paul over and over again would say, this is how the world thinks. But this is what the gospel says. This is how what you've heard. But this is what Jesus says and how to do you've heard. And he would take the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus what Jesus said in Matthew five through seven and different uh, parts of the gospels that we read. He would take that and say, Okay, but, but what informs your behavior is how you think. And you've got to switch. That's what repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's not just stopping a bad behavior and doing good behavior. It's changing the way you think. And so over and over again, Paul informs and teaches the church over and over again. This is you thought this way, but this is how you're supposed to be thinking. And as you think this way, this translates now to how you behave and interact with each other. Does that make sense? Colossians chapter 3 says it this way. Since then, another letter that Paul wrote, since then you have been raised with Christ. He's talking to Christians. He says, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Guys, remember who you are. You're dead to the world, but alive in Christ. Set your mind on Him, set your thoughts on Him. Think differently in Christ, who is your life. You will appear with Him in glory. A few years ago, I did a lesson series, sermon series out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and I talked about the idea of how the gospel should, inf- how we should view the world through the lens of the gospel. And I used this idea of having gospel glasses. And I, and I thought, you know, uh, it was the idea of, hey, listen, you know, without my glasses, I can still see you. Like right now, I don't even have a contacts on. I can still see you. But man, if I had my glasses on, I would see a lot clearly. Does that make sense? And the point being that, you know, without the gospel, you can still see the world. But man, the gospel, when you put those gospel glasses on, you start seeing things the way God sees them. You start seeing them things, people, the way that Jesus sees people. You start understanding interactions and 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 you start understanding understanding your own sin through the lens of the gospel. What if God's gospel people would put on gospel glasses and start viewing your relationships through the lens of the gospel. Start viewing your job through the lens of the gospel. Start viewing your marriage, your parenting through the lens of the gospel. In other words, I can do it without the gospel, but man, when I put the gospel on, it clarifies everything. Because there's a new king. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, who's the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. And it says, I believe he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. The point being, uh, you know, I I see the sun. I, I, I believe I believe the gospel message, but it's not it's not just what I do, but it's because by it, it influences my perspective now through that lens. I view the community, our society, our culture. This movie that I'm watching that's kind of weird. You know, whatever this song that I'm listening to that's kind of out there. Like whatever the case is now, all of a sudden, because it influences every decision I make this gospel message. Here's our challenge today. We allow the world to infiltrate and inform our perspective way more than we do the gospel. But you see, when the gospel of Jesus trains our minds and we view everything through the lens of the gospel, the political landscape during an election year and all the uncertainty and tension there is right now doesn't faze us because we serve King Jesus. So it doesn't matter who gets voted in, who gets voted out or whatever. We serve King Jesus. When the gospel of Jesus influences our perspective, racial tensions and inequalities can be discussed in a righteous manner. And the gospel leads to understanding, not accusing. It leads to forgiveness, not condemnation. And in the end, the gospel helps us to see that we are all equal at the foot of the cross when the gospel Of Christ informs our perspectives and we see life through the lens of the gospel. We become more and more the people God has wanted us to be to his glory. We become what I like to call gospel community, a people who no matter what background we have, are able to unite in song and in mission for the glory of King Jesus. And we know that he is our king he is our Lord. He is our Savior. And the church says, Amen. Come on, church. But don't you think we need some reminding here and there? I think that's why we gather together. We, we go through our week. We need to be reminded. Listen, go to work tomorrow with some gospel glasses on. Try to view that boss, you know, going off on you through the lens of the gospel. This fool just needs some forgiveness. This fool just needs to be forgiven. Something went bad at home and he's taking it out on me. I just need to forgive. I just need to, okay, take it and roll with it. Turn the other cheek. This guy's trying to get my job. He's trying to backstab me to get my job. You know what? I'm going to put my gospel glasses on. I'm going to love my enemies and pray for them and see what happens. You see what I'm saying? When you're informed by the gospel, it changes everything. I want to talk about four characteristics of a gospel community, but I'm not going to do all four today. You're like, thank you, Jesus. We're just going to do two. We're just going to do two. My friend Dan likes, he likes that. We're going to do two today, and then in a couple weeks, uh, we'll do the other two. I want to talk a little bit. This is some kind of, you know, again, if you're, if you're not part of our fellowship here, you may not understand some of the things I'm talking about. Because I, I really want to start off the year with talking about some things for our membership, for our church. Okay, so this is for if you consider yourself a member of the Greater Long Beach Church, this is for you. Now, if you're considering about placing membership here or studying the Bible here, you might want to listen up, too, because then you'll know what you're getting yourself into. You know what I'm saying? Characteristics of a gospel community. Number one, a gospel community values spirit led vision. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit lead the gospel community to meet needs in the community, to have influence and impact in the city, taking chances and sending and supporting gospel preachers to spread the good news of Jesus. But it's all led by the Holy Spirit. And even the spread of the gospel in the book of Acts, it was not a strategic plan made by the disciples in the early church. It was a persecution that was happening and scattered everybody because the, the Holy Spirit was like, yo, you cannot stay in Jerusalem forever. We need to go to the rest of the world. So I'm going to allow some of this stuff to happen so that you guys can go out to these early cities and announce of first importance, Jesus died for your sin. He was buried and he was raised on the third day, overcoming death, giving us forgiveness and hope in our lives. Do you not want to be a part of a community that is... That is trying to create space to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to be part of that. I want to ride the wave of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to jump off the wave. I want to ride the wave. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit—we think it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told me I should date this girl. Well, I don't know if the—I don't know if that was the Holy Spirit. That might have just been your own, like in your head, kind of thing. But you know what I'm saying? We make decisions based on like, oh, the Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit told me. You don't. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. I'm just saying. In the community of believers, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit leads to taking leaps of faith, trying stuff, just to see if it works. And I love that about the church. The church here in Greater Long Beach has, has provided the space for, for the leadership of the church to, to just try new things, see if it works. Every, one of the things I say here is everything we do is an experiment. If it doesn't work, we'll throw it out, but just let us try because you just never know. What God will do, and so what do we do? A couple of years ago, we were like, "Hey, you know what?" Uh, oh, uh, we we sort of put language to our vision as a church that we wanted to become a launching pad and launch people out of that, that situation, but be a launching pad for world change. That you come here and you experience the relationships and the the preaching and the teaching, and you and you experience. Uh, the the health of, of what the gospel provides when we gather together, but then you're launched from here to be agents of change in the world. Whether it be like a Korean language ministry going to Orange County, whether it be like sending other people to strengthen ministries across our international churches of Christ or whether it be in our community, starting a Bible talk here or starting a Bible talk there or having a a, a ministry to meet the needs of this particular area of our of our city or people or whatever the case may be, but that we are agents of change wherever we go. And so we planted the downtown Long Beach ministry. We said, OK, let's let's start something. Let's just you know, we, we are a lot of us live in the or in the East Long Beach, Lakewood, Cerritos, Norwalk, kind of this side of town. But, man, we're missing a whole demographic on on the West Long Beach, downtown Long Beach kind of area. So let's try something. And we did, and we started a downtown Long Beach ministry, and they're meeting together today. And they're, in a, uh, next, this upcoming February, they're gonna be celebrating their two-year anniversary of the downtown Long Beach ministry. And they're still there! You know? They're, they're involved in the community. They're helping people. And it's a different demographic. It's a different type of, you know, people that they're reaching are, it, and it's awesome. It's had challenges. It's had difficulties. But two years later, it's still there. Amen. So I'll just ride that wave. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Spirit led. I want to, let's be spirit led in this. Last year, we started Leap 22. You guys remember this? So we said, okay, here's the deal. We want to create a footprint within the community in Long Beach and Lake and surrounding communities. But we feel like we've we've got to, it's got to be a tangible footprint. And we said, let's figure out a way someday to be financially prepared to invest and get into a re, uh, real estate uh, church, uh, a church facility, a church building. We said, okay, well, we've never planned for that before. Never. We don't have it. Everybody has, I had so many people ask, do we have a building fund? Do we have a bu-? We've never even, we've talked about it for years, but we never just took a step. We said last year, you know what, let's just try it. And so this was our leap. Our leap of faith was a three-year initiative to start a building fund to save for a down payment. So in other words, that three years, starting, you know, 2020, uh, wait, what am I, 2019, 20, 21, 22, and then 22 we end. And and we had people pledge, and with all the pledges we collected, we said, wow, the pledges say, with a leap of faith, with prayer, with going on the spiritual journey, we have a pledge of over $500,000 to be raised in the three years. You're like, well, that's not enough for a dime. I know that's not enough, but I'm just saying, at least we did something. Does that make sense? Yeah. To get us prepared for whatever the Holy Spirit opens. Yeah. We don't even know. God's Holy Spirit may say, because of your faith, I'm just going to give you a building for free. That would be awesome. still- it's happened. I have friends, personal friends. That's happened to them. But I say, let's take a leap of faith and have God meet us there. Now, some of you in here are like, well, I didn't really pledge anything. I didn't really give anything. Well, don't worry. You can still pledge. Our Korean ministry is moving, but they love Leap so much, they're going to still... No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I will say this, though. This This was a... Let's just try something and see God meet us there. And we're going to have through this year updates. We already have over $60,000 in this uh, um, building fund from the giving that was happening last year. And everybody here, those of you who fill out a pledge card, you know, we want to help you meet that commitment, meet that pledge. And and it wasn't it, it was everybody together. We surveyed the church. We had conversations. We had meetings. And this was not a well, Reuben said we got to do. It. No, this was like we're all on the bus together. Yeah. This is your church. Own it. Yeah. Don't be a renter. Own it. Last summer, we started the Haggai Project for the singles ministry. We said, how can we get some energy into our singles ministry? And we said, why don't we start this thing called the Haggai Project, where we spend about 10 weeks, 8 to 10 weeks, just with singles, and every Sunday night just equipping and training them to build in there, in this season of your life, you're in the prime to be able to use the gifts that God's given you and the time that God's given you to build the house of the Lord. You may say, well, I want to build my own house. But Haggai's like, no, dude, build the house of the Lord. Because you build the house of the Lord, what's God going to do? He's going to open great doors. He's going to open opportunities. He's going to bless your faith because you're using what God's given you to build the house of the Lord. We started this. It was awesome. I love our local church vision. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. We want to have a local vision for the community. Spirit led. We want to have a global vision. You know, every year we collect over $100,000 every year to give to support gospel ministry, gospel mission in in churches in Mexico and Central America and in the Middle East. This is an open handed gift. This is an open handed church. We believe in generosity. Let's be open handed. Let's continue support this year. We're going to do it again. We're going to support the mission work in Mexico and Central America, and the Middle East. Why? Because the gospel is of first importance, mm-hmm. not just locally, but around the world. Yeah. So let's ride the wave with the Holy Spirit right. as he continues to advance his message around the world. You know, we financially give every, year, every, every month to Hope Worldwide Amen. because Hope Worldwide is doing things worldwide all around the world. Don't you want to ride that wave where you get just with a few dollars as helping disaster relief in the Philippines or in Puerto Rico or in these hurricane earthquake situations? We get to be part of this. You may say, well, it's just a dollar. I'm telling you, that dollar, that $5, that $10, whatever you give for Hope Worldwide, they take it and they multiply it into more and more to reach more people. We're going to do our hope offering today. And once a month, we do this as a church. We take up a hope offering. And I just want to encourage us. Let's give. Let's continue doing this to meet the need. We, have, we want to be part of God's global vision. Amen, church? Amen. We have a multi-generational vision. A few years ago, was so encouraging. Uh, a few years ago, we said, man, you know, one of the signs of a mature church is having an eldership. Uh-huh. That's one of the signs of a mature church. But the issue is... Biblically, in our conservative interpretation of the role of an elder, we say, man, they've got to have believing children, children who have become disciples. And we're seeing too many men disqualified from the eldership because of that one condition. We said, "What what if we created a culture in GLB where it's just, man, these kids are becoming Christians and it's providing... Venues for these men to be trained for the eldership, because now they're becoming qualified. And seven years later, this is what's happening. Now the Bible says about the eldership, it's a noble ambition. Doesn't you know some some of the brothers here may, that may not be within their you know desire, but their example is incredible in the church. We've had so many different men and uh, parents here, families be able to see full families converted in Christ. Both children, three children, one child, whatever, being baptized in the teen ministry. Why? Because we've invested in our youth ministry. We've invested in training parents on, on bringing up their children. And, and I look at it, and I'm like, man, that's my dream. I don't want to necessarily be an elder, but I I would love to be known as, man, Reuben did a great job raising his kids. Amen. Now, my kids become a disciple is not like that's the thing. My kids staying faithful creating that environment where they're staying faithful, that's kind of what I want. You know what I mean? That's my vision. But when I think about it, I'm like, man, this is, this is the trajectory. I'm so proud of our teen ministry and our teen leaders and our, uh, all of our youth parent count. Can we praise God for that? Amen. Now, one of the things about having a multi-generational church is also the older members of our congregation uh i'm so proud of and so thankful to partner with uh our elder dick g and his wife anna dick and anna god put it on their heart to host a luncheon for some of our what we term here mature disciples which are uh some of our widows some of our uh divorcees who are you know ahead in life a little bit more of the senior age membership of our church and yesterday we got together and we did this. Can I show you some pictures of the gathering? It, is, it was so cool. Look at, look at the detail of Anna G's table for these men and women that, that came. Look at the detail there. Look, look at these awesome servants in aprons right over here. You had Dick and Anna. You had our deacons, uh, George and Sarah Matthew, Joe and Sarah Eads. Uh, did I say Joe, Joe? George Matthew. George and Sarah Matthew, Joe and Sarah Eads. Me and Marina, Dick and Anna, we had aprons. We're like black pants and white shirts. We're like serving food. Look at this. All the sisters there and the brothers uh, there just hanging out, having a great time eating. We had some dancing at the end. Sarah Eves was leading everybody in the electric slide and the, and the, and the shuffle or whatever you call it. And Sarah and Matthew took a little selfie there with some of the sisters. I'm telling you, it was an incredible time to honor our members in the church who are ahead of us in life. Titus 2, Titus chapter 2 talks about this vision in the church where the older women are teaching and urging and training the younger women. Where the older men are setting an example of being temperate and respectful. And they're setting that example for the younger men who need self-control. And we want to be a church that bridges these generations and continues to have this influence. You want to you hear some stories Go hang out with one of our MDs. Just sit there and listen to all the stories. They've lived life. You know what's amazing to me is watching this group. Several, I know uh, several of them, several, about four or five of them have lost their husbands in the past few years. So they're widows. And we've gone to their funerals or we've encouraged them during those times. And I was looking at the group. I'm like, wow, these women, they're, they're faith their perseverance through that grieving. Yeah. And they're here and they want to serve and they want to love God. It was awesome. Let's praise God for our MD's ministry. Amen? Okay, okay, okay. A gospel community values gathering. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, we've got to go quick here. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. At the end there, it says, and in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. You know, the, the gathering of the gospel community is important and priority for the gospel community. If we are to be a gospel community, the gathering needs to be a priority in our calendar as the community meets to worship God and to lift up the name of the King and to be reminded of our need for God, grounded in His Word and moving towards Christ. When the gospel community gathers, Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is present. Something amazing is happening when the the group gathers. It says here that we're becoming a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This you here is not individual you. It's y'all. It's you guys. You together are becoming a dwelling in which God lives by His Holy Spirit. Something awesome is happening when we gather. But we treat it so nonchalantly so many times. We treat it like another thing. We don't prepare ourselves. We come in rushing. We come in angry. We come in anxious. Too many times, here's the bottom line, too, we come in late. Can we have a little family conversation here? Can I show you something? This is not to shame you. This is to help us. I want to show you a picture here of our auditorium at 1030 a.m. This is 10.30 a.m. The singers are already on stage, about to start singing. In fact, Simon's got his hand raised, so I think he's singing. This is 10.30 a.m. I'm not trying to shame people. This is 10 minutes later, or 15 minutes later when the preaching is happening. Full room. Full room. I'll show you another Sunday. 10.30 a.m. 10.30 <laughs> a.m. Pride comes before the fall, teens. Watch out. Look at that. The singers are on stage. It's 1030. This is during the sermon. Full room. What do you notice here? Do we see a pattern here? Here's the thing, guys. If we're going to be informed by the gospel of Jesus and allow him and his message to transform us, We need to get better at prioritizing the gathering and being on time, singing with all of our hearts, creating space for the spirit to move and to work in our hearts, to meet people around you, to fellowship. But when Simon is up here and says, church, let's sing, it is a bro. I'll talk to you later. We're about to start at attention. A few months ago, we did this thing where we closed the doors during the first few songs and kept people outside. I want to do that. All it does is, change, it, is it, does, it just does something for the behavior. It doesn't do anything for the heart. Let's talk about the heart here. Can we be more prepared next Sunday? Can we come here and look at our watches at 1029 and we're still trying to help somebody outside and just be like, you know what? It's time to go and worship and get started. We're going to start on time. So be on time. The only person that's allowed to be late is maybe a friend of ours, a guest. Who's searching and can't find a word of the go? Or is it it too shy to come in here or whatever the case may be? Let's give them some grace. But if you call yourself a Christian, influenced by the gospel message, you will say, you know what? The gathering. The gathering is important. Amen, church? My mom's really fired up about that one, as you can tell. I'm going to skip some of this stuff. This is a lot of great stuff. I just you would have loved it. It was great. But here's the deal. We're going to end with this. <laughs> Your move. Here are the steps you're going to take. Number one, I want you to pray for and about our community vision. Our gospel community. I want you to just pray about it. Can you just pray about what, what does it mean to be a launching pad? What does it mean to just help people have be be men and women of world change? I want you to pray about our global vision. Pray about what, what am, how much am I going to be able to give this year for missions? How much am I going to be able to give for this Leap 22? I really want to be a participant in the vision. I want you to pray for and about our gatherings. And it's not just the Sunday gathering. It's whenever the Christians gather. It's your family group. It's your midweek. It's Women's Day coming up. It's, you know, on our calendar we have a monthly time that we're going to have the men pr- go for a prayer time and the women pray go for a prayer time. I want you to... Man, the tr- Christians are, even if you can't make it, just pray while you know the brothers are praying. Why? Because we want to we prioritize prayer, corporate prayer in the gathering, in the church. I want you to decide to serve in one of our Sunday gathering ministry environments. Here's the deal. We need volunteers. And I always ask for volunteers. But in Kids Kingdom, what we've done is said, you know what? If you're a parent and have a child in Kids Kingdom, in our children's ministry, or have had a child go through it, we're not going to ask you to volunteer anymore. We're just going to tell you when you're going to serve kind of a draft system. And if you have an issue with that, then oh, I love you. But your child can sit with you in church. See what I'm saying? I mean, we've kind of gone that route, but we're going probably to be able to have to do this with, with, in regards to our audiovisual, our gym ministry, because we've got to shake things up a little bit. We, we've asked too many times for volunteers, and then we don't get enough. And, and then what it does is it puts the weight on just one person. Greg, Eddie, Greg and Aaron are head ushers every Sunday. Can we give them a little break? Can we give them a little, you know, they love it. They're not complaining. They love it. They want to serve. But man, we just take it for granted. We're going to talk about that in in a couple months to come. But I'm just saying, decide how you can help and serve. Amen. I want to do something kind of funny here. Gospel glasses. Remember, remember this here? Okay, I want to have ushers come down. I got you some gospel glasses, and and we're we're going to. These are cheap paper glasses, but we're going to take a GLB 2020 gospel glasses vision picture together, with everybody wearing these funky 3D glasses. All right, All right, and uh, we're just gonna you know this is family time here a little bit. Um, we're gonna go a little bit. Um, we might go a little bit late here on our on our service, but it's my first sermon of the year. I promise, I'll get shorter and shorter as we go. All right, everybody got one? We're yeah. getting them. Okay. Hey, Art, can I get one? Okay. So Johnny, Johnny's got a camera. Johnny's gonna come up. Okay. So in 2020. As we go on this next decade together and we kind of look at what the church is going to look like 10 years from now and everything. I want us to be influenced by the gospel that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Let's put on our 3D glasses. I'm going to have Johnny take a few pictures, maybe one from the middle here. Okay, everybody got them on. You don't have you don't you don't have to put them on for for the whole service. Okay, they're actual. I I didn't know they were actually 3D glasses, so sorry if you're getting dizzy or whatever. But just put them on for a minute. Okay, let's get like like yay family picture. Awesome, okay here's what I want you to do. You can you can, throw, you can throw these away. I don't care what you do with it, but I would like for you to consider I'd like for you to consider just keeping this on your nightstands in your bedroom, or keeping it somewhere where it's visible, where you can turn around, you can see it almost on a daily basis and be reminded, you know what? as I go to work today, as I go to school today, as I interact with my family today, let me. Let me have gospel vision. Let me have gospel vision. Amen? Tomorrow is Dr. King's birthday and we're celebrating his birthday. Can I just read you something that he wrote? And this will sober us as we take communion at this time. This is an excerpt from Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. He says, There was a time when the church was very powerful. In a time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. Whenever the early Christians entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven. ...called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. Things are different now. So often, the contemporary church is a weak, ineffectual voice with an uncertain sound... So often, it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. But the judgment of God is upon the church as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Obviously, this was written in the 60s. Every day, I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. Let this be a sobering, prophetic warning for us as a church. He was writing this to, cl- to clergymen, to other pastors who are not... who are are misunderstanding his stance for civil rights as a pastor. And he's like, I love the church. I grew up in the church. I'm a preacher in the church. And yet this is such an incredible warning. Let's heed Dr. King's observations and go back to God's word to reflect the people that God has set apart and called us to be looking after our community, involving ourselves in issues of morality, proclaiming the gospel with our mouths and our lives, being the ecclesia, the gathering of God's Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit and informed with the greatest news ever told. Jesus died for our sins, was buried, raised on the third day and appeared. This resurrected Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, Our Messiah, the head of the body of the church, influencing and informing our perspectives as we continue to become his gospel community. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this bread, this cup, as we remember Jesus. Help us to reflect his image, to to think about the ways that we have been complacent and being your people that you've called us to be. Help us to be light of the world, salt of the earth, to ride the wave with your Holy Spirit as he pushes us to take leaps of faith, individually and as a community. Father, help us to be aware of our uh, consumeristic approach to the Sunday gathering, to prepare ourselves, that when the gospel community comes together, there is a power of the Holy Spirit happening. Father, I pray we will continue to grow and be informed, influenced by the gospel, that by the gospel we will see everything else. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Greater Long Beach Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit greaterlongbeachchurch.com.